Well, good morning, Harlem. Um, it is great to see you. It's great to be together with you this morning. Um, and I do appreciate the invite from James and Salika to come down and spend some time with you and uh, just share some things with you. I want to speak a little bit more to um, James' account of us meeting. Uh, so this was back in 2008 at teen camp. I had just become a disciple uh, and decided, hey, what, what better way to serve uh, the teens than go to teen camp? And so I met James there, and James was Megatron at this camp. And I thought, this guy is awesome. I want to spend time with Megatron. And so um, anyway, that was our, our first meeting, and it's been a great uh, relationship since then. You know, James has helped me out tremendously in my own spiritual life, but especially as a minister. I, I often reach out to James um, with things that I'm struggling with, and uh, he's just been so helpful for that. And so, you know, I just want to remind you that you do have great leadership here in Harlem with James and Zalika. So I appreciate you guys so much and uh, all the work that you do here in Harlem. I also want to thank um, the worship team and the singers. You guys are awesome. This is very impressive. I, I, I kind of don't want to preach and mess it up. I mean, that was just a tremendous time together. So uh, I do appreciate that. And you do have an open invite to come up to Hudson Valley and sing anytime. Um, we have great singers up there as well. But it's nice to get a little different flavor from time to time. You know, I just say this. Uh, we don't often sing a lot of songs in Spanish in Hudson Valley. Um, so as I was singing today, I was just praying and hoping that whatever was being said was lifting up the Lord and, you know, amen to that. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, and I was careful not to turn on my mic until I got up here because you really don't want to hear me sing. It's just, that's just not my gift. Um, but I will share some things with you today that uh, I hope are hope, uh, helpful for you. Um, and so as Jane mentioned, uh, my name is Ryan Irby and uh, I do lead the Hudson Valley region of the New York City Church of Christ. And uh, my, wo- my wife, my woman, my wife, uh, alongside me, don't tell her I said that, um, just... Can we edit that out somehow? Um, she, she, she wishes that she could have been down here today. I apologize that she's not. With three kids in tow, so again, Evelyn, four, Lillian um, is nine months, and then we have Vivian in the middle at two years. It's just, you know, it's just a lot to, to get around. So um, it's not that they didn't want to be here with you today. So we'll get them down here um, at some point. Um, but I do bring greetings from the Hudson Valley region. Um, great, great church up there, great disciples, and not because of the leadership. I'm just saying it's just a great group of people up there. And so I do bring uh, greetings from Hudson Valley. But today, um, I actually want to speak on a topic that is very near and dear to my heart um, because it's been so helpful in my journey with Christ, uh, and I hope it's helpful for you. But I actually want to think, want us to think about it as talking about something within Christianity that was lost. Okay, so I want us to rediscover this thing today. And I'll just say a couple of things about that. You know, this discipline was part of Christianity for years and years and years. And even prior to Christianity, a essential discipline in Judaism. And it was practiced for um, centuries, actually, and then into Christianity. And over the course of time, it had been lost. And I'm not going to get into a lot of the reason that it's been lost, but I do think it's important for us to highlight that and remember that for centuries, for Christians, 
this was a central discipline, a central practice to help Christians connect with and become more like Christ. And so I'd like for us to dive into this a little bit today. I don't have a lot of time to really dive in, but we're going to dive in just a little bit today. So I hope you got your swimsuits on or, you know, whatever you need to do to to really dive in today. Um, And so we can check out this discipline and rediscover the lost art of meditation. So you can turn with me in your Bibles over to Psalm 1. That's where we'll be today. And as you can see, the title of my sermon today is The Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. And I'm going to give you just one point. We're going to look at just one scripture. I hope you don't feel cheated by that. Sometimes we do three points, but today I just have one. I'm just going to give you one point. Uh, I'm going to give you one main passage, but don't worry. I'll give you some other passages in there as well. I just wanted to um, set things up that way. So Psalm 1, we're going to read just verses 1 through 3. And my one point is this. Absorb the reality of God. They absorb the reality of God. And I could, have, I could have made the point, meditate on the reality of God or just meditate on God. But the idea of absorbing God or absorbing the word gives us a great glimpse into what meditation is all about. It's not just looking at the word or becoming familiar with God. It's actually absorbing God's word and his nature and character into our being so it changes us so we're better positioned to carry out the will of God in our lives. Can I get an amen to that? That's what we're really trying to do here with meditation. I appreciate the applause on that. I didn't even get started yet, really. Okay, amen. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one... Who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. And so to give you some context here, so this is the first psalm in the book of Psalms that sets the tone for the rest of the book. And the psalms are poems or prayers that have been recorded to help God's faithful people learn the language of prayer or the language of intimacy with God. And so, Psalm 1 speaks of the happy one, okay, the blessed one. And that's what the the scriptures talk about when they say, blessed is he who, or blessed is the one who. It's really talking about the one who is fortunate or happy. And I'll give you a little glimpse into what I'm going to talk about in just a minute. You see, this psalm is talking about Christ. Okay, this is a psalm that is talking about Christ. And so, again, where it it says blessed, it says blessed is the one. That's the whole idea. The blessed is the one who does not do this over here or is engaged with or connect with this stuff over here, but connects with this stuff over here. Okay? So there's a a distinction here. And look look at the way that it's worded. It says, does not walk 
with the wicked stand in the way or sit in the company, anything that they do is not connected to that which is evil. That with the ways in which are contrary to God, the blessed person, the happy person has nothing to do with that. So there's this part of the passage that is about disengagement and disconnection. And that's important for us to remember as we're trying to follow Christ. That's how Christ was, right? Nothing to do with the ways of the wicked. Now, he, he, he brought the wicked in, right? But he had nothing. There was no evil in his life. So there's the disconnection. But what about the connection? What, what is this person to do? Well, they delight in something. Okay, they delight, they take pleasure, and they value something. This is the central focus. This is what they're seeking and what they desire in their life. That was an important question. The deepest question you can ask yourself is, what am I seeking in life? What is my desire, my deepest desire? Well, for the happier, the fortunate one, they delight or they're seeking the law of the Lord. And another way to say that, the, the actual way to say that is the Torah. Okay, the, 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 you can think about that as the first five books of the law, of the Bible. We can also think about that as the instruction or the ways of God. That's what the happy person takes delight in. That's what they're seeking. That's what they're so fired up about. So much so... That they meditate on that day and night. So it really doesn't give you a lot of time for anything else, does it? And now I'm not saying that we should go off and be monks and just you know, sit there in a, a desert somewhere and meditate. Although there were Christians that did that. And I'm not entirely knocking that. There's some real value to disconnecting from the world and connecting with God. But I don't think we're to stay there. And I don't think that's the point of the passage. Just saying, the per- this person just delights in God so much that they just they think on, they dwell on, they, they just can't help but meditate on the ways of God. And I'll get to that idea of meditation in just a minute. Because I want to go on, because this, this part of the passage is so beautiful and powerful. It gives you a picture of what this person's life is like. And it's a great illustration for what meditation is. It says, this person is like a tree planted by streams of water. They are planted right next to the source of life for the life of the tree. Never goes unnourished. Always fulfilled. Always getting exactly what it needs from the stream, and it's just a constant and steady flow. And not only that, but it produces fruit in season, which means it accomplishes its goal and the purpose for which it was designed and created, to produce fruit. That's what we're to do in our lives as well. And whose leaf does not wither, it never dies off, it's never without what it actually needs. Whatever they do prospers. Can I get an amen to that? Whatever, I mean, just think about that life. That's a happy life, if you ask me. 
That's what I want, and I think what we all desire. And again, this is a picture of the life of Christ, and even more so, or I could say, I guess, the same, it's a picture of the life that can be yours as a disciple of Jesus. Let's talk about this meditation thing for just a minute, because it's a central part of the passage. Um, it talks about the, the delight or the desire uh, being on the law, but it also talks about meditation. Now, the psalmist writes that this happy person, this fortunate person, dwells on the ways of God day and night all the time. Now, the word that's there for meditate in the Hebrew is Hagah. And so I just, I, would, I did this with the youth and family on Friday night, but I'd like for all of us to do it as well. Let's just say Hagah together on three, one, two, three, Hagah. So, so there you go. There's some Hebrew for you today. I'm not a, an expert in Hebrew. That's not what my PhD is in. But it's a very important word for us because what Hagah means is to ponder something or to murmur. And I like that idea of murmur because a murmur is a light, low, but consistent sound like a heartbeat or like a stream. Have you ever sat by a stream? And I don't mean the Hudson River. I mean a, a, you know, a, a stream that's just a light, low, but consistent sound. If you want to learn how to meditate, that's a great way to learn how to meditate, is just sit beside a stream and imitate the stream. It's just a light, low, but consistent sound. That's, that's, that's Haggah, that's meditation. But the meditation is on, again, the law, the ways, or the instruction of the Lord. So the happy person is the one who's got the word in their minds and in their hearts as a constant and steady stream. Now, this may be discouraging, but have you ever tried to meditate on anything, really, day and night, constantly? Have you ever tried to do that by just direct effort or sheer will? Okay? Well, that, maybe that's good that you haven't, because if you have tried, you realize pretty quickly that you, you cannot do it. So it's not giving us a picture of something that we're just to do by sheer effort or will. It's giving us a picture of something that we need to train for or engage in as a practice and a discipline to get us to a point where the law of the Lord, the ways of God, Christ, is just in our minds and in our hearts as a steady stream. And the discipline as practice consistently over the course of time will help to get you to that place. And again, as I mentioned before, to the point, absorbing the word of God, that's really the goal of meditation, is to absorb God, is to uh, uh, absorb his will, his ways, the character and nature of Christ. Because if we just take it in and we don't absorb it, then it doesn't affect who we are and it doesn't help us be a disciple of Jesus. So I began a, a deeper study of meditation back in uh, 2012. And uh, I'm by no means an expert in meditation. Let me just say that. Uh, but I do find it a very interesting and useful discipline. Uh, but I started a deeper study of meditation, especially from a biblical standpoint, back in 2012. And I'd been reading a book at the time. Um, by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. Some of you may have come across this book. And he, lists a, he has a quote in there 
that I felt so challenged and convicted by. So I want to share that quote with you today, if that's okay uh, with you. Okay, because even if it wasn't okay, I still have it in the PowerPoint, so I just, I'm going to put it up there anyway. So just want to make sure we're on the same page. Um, <clears throat> but J.I. Packer said this about meditation. <clears throat> Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice of meditation. Let me give you the whole, the whole, the whole quote. Um, I just wanted to list that up there so you could see it. But he said, we have some idea perhaps of what prayer is. Right? We have an idea of what prayer is. We have an idea of what study is. But what is meditation? And then he said this, well, may we ask for Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice. Now, again, I hope you feel convicted by that. I felt convicted. I still feel convicted by that passage because there's a, there's a part of that that I don't even fully understand. But we have to ask ourselves, why would a follower of Jesus suffer grievously from neglecting the practice of meditation? Why would that be? Why would he say that in such a powerful and strong way? Well, one main reason that comes to mind for me is that Jesus, the one who, who we are to follow, the one who we are learning from, being a good Jew, would have practiced this discipline. So although Jesus was the Word made flesh, he also likely meditated on and memorized verses to know them and utilize them. And he demonstrated that during his wrestling with Satan in the wilderness. Right? Matthew 4 Verses 1 through 11 and Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. How did he combat those attacks? We had the word of God in his heart and in his life. He was ready for the challenge because he had seen it in the Old Testament. Right? Satan had already had tried that with the Israelites in the Old Testament. Jesus knew it so well. He knew what to expect. And he was right there ready for the word or ready with the word. And the reality for us is that we wonder why we struggle. And a big part of our struggle is that we're just not ready for the things that come to us. And it's because we are not absorbing the Word of God as we should. You know, Jesus also often quoted the Psalms. He quoted the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. And so he had, and there's many other places where he quoted scripture, right? So he knew and had the word of God in his heart. He, he had absorbed it into his life, into his mind, and into his heart. So if we're to learn meditation, let's have a definition for it. I mean, I gave you some, some uh, defining characteristics from the scriptures, but let me give you a definition for it um, <clears throat> by a Trappist monk. So Thomas Merton figured, well, he's a monk. He probably knows a little bit about meditation. So good place to get a, a, a definition from. And he wrote this in his book, Spiritual Direction and Meditation. And I like especially the last part. Uh, I'll read it to you. It says, to meditate is to exercise the mind in serious reflection. Reflection not only involves the mind, but also the heart and indeed the whole being. It impacts all of who we are. In fact, and I love this part. I feel convicted by this. 
In fact, study is not spiritually fruitful unless it leads to some kind of meditation. Right? It's not enough to just study the Word of God. The Bible is not meant to just be read. It's meant to be studied, meditated on, absorbed into our being, and lived out in our lives. In meditation, we strive to absorb what we have already taken in. You know, how many people in here enjoy eating? How many people like to eat? Okay, I thought I might get a few hands anyway, um, but I'm with you on that. Uh, I enjoy eating lots of different foods. Uh, but I wanted to give you a picture of my favorite food or grocery store in Rockin County. It's actually, it's less than a mile from my house. Thank God for positioning me in the right location. Um, but it's called a matter of health. And I mean, as you look at this display here, I mean, don't you just salivate with, okay, maybe some people, maybe not. It could have been a steak or, you know, I, I mean, I'm down with that as well. So, but the, I see some people, but I mean, just a, just a beautiful, you got the kale there. Look at that. And I don't know, lemons maybe. And tomatoes and hey avocados from mexico right yes delicious but i want to tell you a story about a man who discovered this store so a man discovered this store and as he walked in he was blown away by what he saw i mean just, again, the beautiful display, all the healthy foods. I mean, he was blown away. So the man started buying the food and eating it. And he actually stopped eating some of the other stuff that was affecting his life in a negative way. So McDonald's. I mean, you know, you can just always throw McDonald's under the bus when it comes to stuff like that. And I'm not saying that we don't eat at McDonald's. Sometimes, you know, we... Stop by and the girls do appreciate that. But, you know, he stopped eating at other places and just was so devoted to eating the food from this store. And he got healthier. In fact, he got a lot healthier. It changed his life. And so for a few months, he would enter the store, buy all this nutritious food, eat it, and it helped him to get healthier and healthier. He was in a good direction in his life. He was on a good path, a good trajectory. But then, somewhere along the way, he started going to the store less and less. He started eating the food less and less. And then something very strange happened. This is very bizarre. He would go to the store... He would purchase the food, he would go home, he would chew the food, but then he would spit it out. He wasn't ingesting the food, he wasn't taking the food into his body. As a result, he started getting sick. And he was, he was still going to the store, and he was still buying the food, but he wasn't eating and swallowing the food. And then eventually he started going there less and less. He started going back to some of his old ways. He started getting sick, and then eventually refused to admit that he was sick. 
Eventually he stopped going to the store, again went back to his old ways, and he passed away. You see, this is a story or a parable about all of us. Okay, the store represents the domain of God, God's kingdom, the realm of God. You see, when we enter the realm of God, we are blessed with the opportunity to experience his word in our lives. And that's the healthy food. And so we go in and initially, and we're so excited and we start consuming the food and, and, and we're so affected by it. And it changes our life. But then somewhere along the way, there are these other desires, these other weeds and thorns that come up into our lives and they choke it out. Right? I think you know the other parable that I'm referring to. Right? To the point where the word, we might be reading the word, we might be uh, you know, talking with people about the word, but it's not being absorbed into our lives. It's not affecting who we are. It's not changing us. It doesn't have the same place or priority in our lives that it used to. And we become sick, become spiritually sick. And then eventually we wither away and we die spiritually. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be your story. And there's good news. I mean, there's good news in that at any moment, at any time in our walk with God, we can get back into the Word. We can look at it. We can absorb it into our lives. Why is that? Because of our effort? No, it's because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God, which is Jesus Christ in the flesh. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're just coming into Christianity and trying to understand it and trying to figure it out. Or maybe you've been a disciple for a long time and you're just, it's just not working anymore. I feel stuck. I've talked to many Christians lately that just feel stuck in their walk. Don't give up wherever you are. Again, new, old, whatever. Don't give up. God's love, God's grace is always there for you. And he gives us the blessing of his word, the blessing of Jesus in the flesh, so that at any moment we can change, our hearts can change, just get back into the Word, just study it, just meditate on it, dwell on it in your lives, and it will change you, it will affect the rest of your life. You see, we are beings that absorb all kinds of things into our lives. Okay, we're, we're created to do that. We're created to soak up and absorb things. And so I ask you today, what are you absorbing into your soul? What are you focused on or dwelling on in your life? Are you feasting on God? You see, the best thing that we can do spiritually is meditate on the words of Jesus and put them into practice in our lives. Matthew seven twenty four through 29, John eight thirty one and 32. You see, Jesus provides the, one, the, the thing in life that we're searching for. The thing that we're searching for is found in Jesus. And meditating on him provides what we are really after in life. But we suffer spiritually when we neglect, for whatever reason, this key discipline. 
And so here's one reason why I believe we miss it today. This is a quote by, he's a, not a Christian, Hans or Jean Arp, said this. Soon silence will have passed into legend. Man has turned his back on silence. Day after day, he invents machines and devices that increase noise and distract humanity from the essence of life, contemplation, meditation. And I would add, on Jesus or on God or on the Spirit. Now, it's a, it's a powerful quote in and of itself, but I think what's more interesting is that Gene Arp said this around the 1950s or 1960s. It's very prophetic. You think about how true this is today. Devices and machines, things that distract us from the most important things of life. Our lives are consumed by it. And it's the story of us, but it's also the story of Christianity as well. We, we can't let the culture take over our lives. Okay? We have to influence the culture, not the culture influence us. So I want to take you on a little journey into the art of biblical meditation uh, this morning. I have a little bit of time left, so I want to just spend some time with you on that. Okay, so the first thing to do is just find a comfortable position in your chair. Okay, so if you have devices out or whatever, or even if you want to put your notebooks uh, down, um, you can do that. Whatever is most comfortable for you. They typically, and I say they as in uh, meditation teachers, typically tell you um, feet flat on the floor. You can, wherever you want to put your hands, you know, you can put them up in the air if you want, like you're on a roller coaster, or you can put them down on your thighs if you'd like that as well. And with your eyes, you can either uh, soft gaze forward or you can close your eyes. I prefer to close my eyes because it helps me to concentrate. So I want you to close your eyes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 1 slowly, meditatively. And I want you to put yourself in the psalmist's shoes. I want you to imagine that you're here in this place that the psalmist is describing. And imagine in your life, you know, the beginning talks about disconnecting from things. So what are some of the things that you need to disconnect from in your life? Imagine yourself doing that. And there's some things that we're to connect to, right? Delighting in the Word of God. I want you to imagine this joyful place where it's just you and the Lord. Just day and night, meditating on Jesus, spending time with Him in a safe and secure place. Just you and Him. Just imagine the presence of Jesus. And in the last portion where it talks about the prosperous life, I want you to imagine that as well. Imagine your life prospering, always having the nourishment that it needs, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, faithful, self-control. Okay, so... I'll read it in just a minute. first thing you can do once you find that comfortable position is just focus on your breathing. Breath in. Breath out. Breath is a great anchor for the mind. It helps to, to focus the mind and eliminate distractions. If you notice your mind wandering, just 
take note of it and bring it back to the breath. And the breath is also a great way to calm your whole system down, your brain, your body, your heart rate. Just focus on that breath, and I'll read Psalm 1 slowly and meditatively. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You can open your eyes. Doesn't that feel good? You're probably upset with me that I told you to open your eyes. I'm sorry. You can go back to it later. Um, and maybe your eyes are still closed and you're asleep, but maybe you're just tired. That's okay. That's okay. I fall asleep sometimes when I meditate. And honestly, a lot of times that just means you need more sleep. Um, but that's all it takes. That's all it takes. It's just a couple minutes each day. You know, amidst the busyness of life, to just sit and dwell with God. And you can imagine a passage. You can repeat a passage over and over again. You can reflect on a passage. Think about it in different ways. I mean, that's all that it takes. But imagine the life that's described in this passage being yours, right? A life that is full of fruit, that's by a stream, constantly nourished, everything you need spiritually provided for in the Word of God. I mean, imagine that. Imagine the prosperous life. I know it's what you want. I know it's what you desire. There's so many confusing messages about what that is. But we see it locked up and bound up in Jesus, in the passages of the Bible. So I encourage you, I admonish you to meditate on God. Absorb the reality of God in your life. Again, just imagine what kind of life that could be. It's the life that God originally designed humankind to have. Thriving, full of the abundant life that Jesus promised us in John 10.10. 10. To God be the glory. Thank you and amen. <laughs>